It's a great joy to be uh, with you again and to see our beloved friends in the Lord and uh, all here. We're going to turn uh, to Romans chapter 13. I very well like how the Brethren Assemblies do it because we remember our Lord Jesus Christ in the first service and remember his death for us and then in the, the, the next time like this chapter is not centering in the Lord, but in our conduct, but yet uh, we've thought of the Lord, especially in the, in the former hour. Uh, I had the privilege uh, to be in Korea last month for a week, and uh, I thought of the verse. I had the privilege of speaking to about 800 pastors and uh, right outside Seoul, and uh, I thought of uh, our Lord's verse in John 10, where he said, Other sheep have I that are not of this fold, them I must also bring. And uh, so I looked at all these Korean faces and lovely Christians. Uh, you know, I just thought of uh, our Lord saying, Other sheep have I. In Korea, they tell me that the language in heaven will be Korean. Why? <laughs> I uh, I don't know if I should comment on that. It's Korean, Japanese, Chinese are all three different languages. If you know any one, you don't know the other two. They're they're just not similar. But uh, Korean is a little easier to read. But it was wonderful. They had a. Uh, uh, I'm going to speak a little about rioting today. But they they had uh, 900,000 protesting. Uh, the woman president of Korea, the prime, because of uh, scandals, sound a little like the U.S., but uh, her uh, her cousin was accused of uh, embezzling about what we call nine hundred thousand dollars in U.S. funds, and uh, her. Uh, woman advisor was accused of selling influence and if you had to give a contribution if you wanted to see the president and so they had 900,000 march one day when we were there in Seoul Korea but uh, interesting not not one car was uh, burned not one window was broken and i think that's you know Korea is today the most christian nation in the world and with uh, maybe 35 million who profess to know Christ, there's churches all over. At uh, Christmas, it looks like in Seoul, Korea, it looks like Miami, but with Christmas trees everywhere and all. They don't have Santas so much. But uh, anyway, that was, it was wonderful to be there. Then it's wonderful to be here. Turning to uh, Romans 13, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Savior our wonderful Lord Jesus, who, despising the shame, went to the cross and died for our sins. What a wonderful Savior. And we thank you for the, his resurrection and the promise that he's coming back, perhaps soon, for his believers and to put the world right. And we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now we pray, pray thy blessing on each one here, and we pray it in the Savior's name with thanksgiving. Amen. Also, I'll mention that after lunch, it, uh, so in the bulletin it says lunchtime Bible study. I kind of like that title. 
and uh, this year uh, it's been set forth so that uh, 1.45 is our quitting time. So uh, you can count on that. Everything in the world is not in my control, but that's in my control to stop. And you can count, we will quit at 1.45. And that should give any football fan time to see the games. Now, you remember in Romans, the first eight chapters are doctrinal. The first four chapters, or the first three chapters, tell us that all are sinners. You remember chapter four says Abraham was saved by faith and we're saved by faith. Remember chapter five says, uh, gives us the blessings of believing in Christ. Chapter 6 and 7 gives us the struggle of the Christian life as through his strength we try to overcome sin and live for Christ. And chapter 8 reminds us that uh, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. We're saved. No condemnation for our sins. He's died for our sins and therefore no separation. D.L. Moody said it was his favorite chapter. Romans 8, no condemnation, no separation. Then you remember 9, 10, and 11 talks about Israel and explains that uh, God will achieve his purposes in Israel, but for now that uh, that nation is set aside for unbelief. Chapter 12 says that, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We're told to live for Christ in chapters 12 through 15. Give us uh, the Christian life, and chapter 12 gives us many admonitions of living for the Lord Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful chapter. Now, after that, Paul makes something clear. And, of course, he's writing Romans during the third missionary journey, and he's writing it from Corinth, it's his third letter in the mission. He's already written First and Second Corinthians, but the Bible puts Romans first because it's uh, the clearest setting forth of the doctrine of the Christian faith. But the question now is, how do we act toward the government and uh, being a citizen? It's uh, we might get the impression from Romans twelve and others that. Uh, When a policeman tells us something, we can say, hey, buzz off, I answer to the Lord, I don't answer to men. And we don't know, we need God's guidance. We need God's guidance. What is our, should we despise all the uh, political rulers and say, I don't, we don't listen to you. And of course, we're not of this world. In a sense, our citizenship is with Christ. But Paul makes it straight, we still should uh, obey the authorities. And uh, since we've had rioting all through the last year, and since America has uh, notably become less law-abiding, I don't eat my heart out when I drive down here, but, you know, we're driving at 65 on the, uh, the turnpike, and every now and then a car passes us at 100 miles an hour. Yesterday I estimated, I said, this guy must have been going 110, because we were at, I was at, get me, 75, a couple miles over. 
and it was like we were standing still. Choom. And of course, that's why we have more fatal accidents because at this speed, especially above 80, you have an accident, usually everybody's killed, even if you're seat belted. Uh, I remember when I studied physics and we studied momentum and force. Force, you know, equals mass times acceleration. Momentum is uh, mass times velocity and all that. And I remember we were told by the physics teacher that uh, if you're going up above 80, you know, what do you do if you have an accident? He says, it doesn't matter what you do, you're dead. Because he says the, the laws of physics don't make exceptions. And if you're going that speed and you hit something solid, remember he said, you're dead. And we have people just, dis- there's not a regard. The point I'm just making is they don't have a regard for the law. Now, I remember my teacher, Dr. Alan McRae, who was a, a world-famous Old Testament scholar, uh, he said uh, when he was in France and they would travel years ago on the train, some people would throw garbage out of the train and all, but he said when they got to Germany, somebody would jump up and say it's verboten. They obeyed the law, but uh, had their problems. And so chapter 13, Paul writes, let every soul, he's talking to Christians, be subject unto the higher powers. He means the government. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves condemnation. So Paul tells us, he reminds us, that human government is actually ordained of God. And in a sinful world, you know, will we have policemen in heaven? When Christ comes back in the millennium, will we have policemen on every street? Uh, I remember I was in a car, uh, was it in Singapore or Korea? We were stopped and I was kind of shocked. The policemen were small in those countries. I'm used to in America, New York City, policemen are big guys. They're just big people. Chicago, cops are big. But uh, in Singapore and in Korea, they're often little. But they still have their badge and all of that. But he says, the powers that be are ordained of God. Without the police, uh, pity us. Because there are sinners and robbers everywhere. Again, if you're thinking of moving to Orlando to be safer. uh, Last year, there were more murders in Orlando than Miami. I thought, well, maybe if we can move where Bob Jones is, Greenville, South Carolina. Then my brother-in-law assures us that Greenville, South Carolina has the most crime of any city in South Carolina. We hope it's not by Bob Jones students, though. <laughs> you know, we trust that. Uh, but uh, uh, we need, in a sinful world, we need a government. And... Uh, we say that government should give us the maximum protection. Government should foster cooperation, like a government decides everybody in this country drives on the right side of the street. In London, government says everybody drives on the left side of the street. But we have to have an agreement. We can't have some people on the left side, some people on the right. We have to have an agreement. We have to agree we're going to stop at red lights or or 
Oh, we can't steal each other's mail. We, we have to have that. And we're not always happy with the laws, but uh, uh, then, so it says, first of all, let every soul be subject. We should be subject to the laws and uh, because they're ordained of God. God has put his seal on the system of human government. We'll go more into that. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So if we're not breaking the law, we don't have to be ideally afraid of the policeman or anything like that. And we understand that all policemen are sinners too, so I'm not advocating the police are perfect. Calvin, it's interesting, it says... Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Calvin said, writing uh, you know, about 400 years ago, he said on this passage, Calvin's commentary, he said, occasionally, however, the bandits take over a government. Occasionally, it's the murderers and the criminals who take over a government. But the government God is talking about here. Verse 3 says, it's not a terror to good works, but it's a terror to evil. But like when Hitler took over the government in Germany, when Stalin took over the government in Russia, when Chairman Mao took over the government in China, when Castro took over the government in Cuba, when Che Guevara took over, then the government itself became the criminals. They became a terror to good and fostered evil. And Calvin said in, in those times, he said that is not a God-ordained government. And uh, we don't do what Hitler or, or Stalin or these murderers say. But basically, Paul is writing the book of Romans shockingly when Nero is the emperor. Notice he's, he says we ought to obey the law and he's writing it when the worst emperor in the history of the Roman Empire and Roman Republic was ruling. Though we could argue whether Claudius or Nero or Caligula, who was worse, they were all monsters. But uh, basically the Roman government kept order. However, in the... Rome and in the castle, Nero was a monster. We understand that. But ideally, we don't fear the government when we do good. Verse 4 says, he is a minister of God to thee for good. Uh, interesting, the word minister there is diakonos, the same word we use for the other places, a deacon. Stephen was a, a deacon. A deacon is a minister who works in many churches uh, they have a board of deacons and uh, they take care of the building and the grounds and things like that. But uh, he is a deacon, it says. He is a minister of God to thee for good, ideally. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. Now, Genesis 9, 6 <coughs> is the passage that we usually quote for uh, human government, Genesis 9, 6. 
And uh, after the flood, let's see, we just turn. Forgive me, I have a thin page Bible and it's. I used to have markers. Oh, where, where? So I hate to spend 10 minutes. See, if this were in TV, they'd blot this time out. But Genesis 9 6, actually, I know the verse, but it says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, <coughs> by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Now they're talking about murder. They never apply this to when God uh, commanded the soldiers to go into Canaan. And uh, even thou shalt not kill would be better translated or understood. Lo teratza, lo not to you ratza, you shall not murder. The, the Hebrew words used for the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, is never applied to animals. Where God says, go kill. It's never applied to soldiers. It's applied to what we call murder. But here in Genesis 9, 6, it says the same. Whoever sheds man's blood, that is. And remember, God had six cities of refuge so that the accidental killer, the accidental person could find refuge. He could run to one of these cities, Hebron or Jerusalem, and he could say uh, the axe fell off the handle or something, and if they were convinced, they'd let him in the city. If they thought not, they let him outside. And at, at first, uh, it was the family that took revenge, which wasn't the greatest. Uh, I think uh, I have said before that... Uh, in the ancient world, you know, some people say, oh, the Bible says, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that's awful. No, the Bible says an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, meaning the punishment should fit the crime. But in the ancient world, in China, remember, in ancient China, if somebody was convicted of criticizing the emperor, his whole family was arrested and they skinned them alive as they executed them. In the ancient world, it was you offended one person and uh, they murdered everybody in your family. Two cousins. So the punishment did not. In old England, for stealing a loaf of bread meant you'd be hung. So you see the punishment, but the Bible says punishment should fit the crime, which was what the Greek philosopher said. And it says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. In other words, God says, human government, but my, by man shall his blood be shed. Which is capital punishment. And uh, for murderers. Uh, for in the image of God made he man. The value of human life. And, uh, you know, sometimes somebody says, well, two wrongs don't make a right. But execute, the state executing a murderer is not a wrong. So Paul, anyway, continues in Romans 13. And uh, so when he says, He beareth not the sword in vain, the sword was the instrument that could kill you, the Roman sword. 
And so he's saying that uh, the human human government has the right to take life under the right circumstance. Uh, we only do it in America. Florida has stopped executing people for the last couple of years because the Supreme Court has argued about whether uh, in uh, the mixture they use uh, chemically to, to execute the person, uh, whether that inflicts any pain. Of course, many of these people, they've just shot... Uh, like we've just had this uh, policeman shot, uh, you know, a woman policeman shot eight times, and she still, they said, would have survived, but the guy walks up to her and puts his pistol to her head and shoots her and finally kills her. Well, and we're worried, that, and he said he was roughed up when they arrested him. Well, he shot a woman, and another policeman was killed, uh, you know, in connection with this. Uh, he shot a, a woman, it happened to be a black woman he shot, and uh, he wasn't worried too much about her pain. But anyway, uh, it, it says uh, that uh, the government does not bear the sword in vain. It's not carrying the, the instrument of death for nothing. It has the authority really from God uh, to take the life. But unlike Hammurabi's code and all these others, we don't kill the whole family and all of that. It says, he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute upon him those that do with evil. In other words, the, the government is a minister of God, it says. Uh, now, by the way, we understand all policemen. I'm not going to all policemen are wonderful. I actually uh, was roughed up by a policeman. It was interesting. I used to always go to a bank in Philadelphia, and I used to be dressed like this, and the policeman wave, hello, hello. One night, believe it or not, I went at night. They had a deposit. They, they had banks open to 9 o'clock at night. And I went to this bank at 9 o'clock at night, and I wore a leather jacket. And the policeman grabbed me and threw me out of the bank physically. And he said some words to me I wouldn't repeat. It would be improper to repeat in church. And so I, I understand that all policemen are not wonderful. But nevertheless, the system, and uh, he is a minister of God. He works for God. I, we ought to tell some of them that. But he works for God because we, otherwise, we have Dodge City with everybody carries their own pistol and all of that. Verse 5, wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. My son who's an attorney said, uh, if a policeman ever pulls me over, don't give the policeman any reason to rough you up. Just cooperate. You can complain later. But uh, I was, uh, my wife can tell you in the last 10 years, I don't speed. I can say that from the pulpit. I don't speed, but as a, a young kid, I did speed. And I, regret, I attribute it to youth. I'm not proud of it. It wasn't great. But uh, when I finally became a, uh, I graduated from seminary, I remember the policeman pulled me over and said, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a, a minister. And he, he handed me my license back and he said, just, he didn't give me a ticket. He said, keep it down, Father. <laughs> so, but... Verse 5 says, we're to obey the law not only because we don't want to be roughed up or arrested by a policeman, but also for conscience sake, because that's God's will. That's God's will. Verse 6, for this cause, 
he goes on, the Christians should pay tribute also. We pay taxes. There are some Christians that say, I don't pay tax for the government. I don't approve of everything. Well, then nobody would ever pay tax, you know, through history because all governments do some things we don't approve of 100%. But we need some kind of system. And uh, But we should pay tribute. That's pay taxes. Christians should pay taxes. It doesn't mean that all your, you know, you approve where every cent goes. And uh, custom to whom custom, pay uh, taxes when you go in and out of a country. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. There's a certain amount of life goes well with politeness. We honor older people. We honor teachers. We understand. We honor... We honor them and uh, we're disappointed that the last election was uh, an election of calling names more than any other election in the U.S. history. But uh, everybody seems to be getting a little more polite, hopefully, when it's over. Uh, honor to whom honor. You know, I, I was six years in the, the Army as a private at the bottom, yelled at, screamed at, cursed at. Then I became an officer and I became a colonel up for general. That was pretty nice. I said I had an average time. I was six years a private, six years a colonel, full colonel. So that's like averaged out. But uh, it was nicer as a colonel. Sometimes I'd be the highest ranking person on a base. And uh, I had uh, helicopters at my disposal. Pretty nice. But I had a cousin who was drafted with me. I, uh, you don't see him, so I can tell you. Gary Adler, does anybody know him? Lives in Havertown outside Philadelphia. I can tell you secretly. He never saluted. He never wanted to salute. We'd be walking down the street together. An officer comes. Uh, he would turn his back like he dropped. Uh, you've heard me say this before. Like he dropped a coin and be pretending to look. So he wouldn't have to salute the officer. I would, you know, just go, oh, sir. But uh, years later, he was still a private. Wonder why. Wonder why he was never promoted. But honor to whom honor is due, uh, I actually respect it, uh, especially the officers who led us. Some of the generals I had, some were awful. I'll tell you, I can't even tell you what one general said. Uh, I wondered how this one general, General Fluke, I wonder, I thought he should have never made corporal. What a foul mouth. But there were generals I knew, General Cavanaugh, General Lavelle, they could have been, been President of the United States. There were outstanding, righteous, good people, smart. So honor to whom honor is to do. So even though we love God, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We still give honor and we give courtesy to those to whom it's due. Uh, now, after Paul has said that, he gets on a little to philosophizing by the Spirit of God he's led. Verse 8, owe no man anything but to love one another. We should honor everybody, but... Uh, I think he's, don't get in debt. Don't, don't get in the situation where you owe people things. Uh, usually we 
think that a mortgage is all right, but uh, beware of debt. But he says you have this debt to everybody else, to love one another. Love your neighbor. Bible says all the law is fulfilled. If you love God first, Jesus said that's the first and great commandment, but the second is to love your neighbor. In English, you know what neighbor means? Nigh. Remember nigh, the old English word, he's nigh. It means near. It's really the, the nearer. It, it means the person who's near you. Your neighbor is not necessarily a wonderful person. May they, I have wonderful neighbors right now. Sometimes you can have awful neighbors, but your neighbor, it's person who's near you. Person who's near you. Love them. And we have an obligation. He that loves another hath fulfilled the law. Verse 9, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. If you love, if you love your neighbor, you don't steal from them, you don't cheat them, you don't belittle them, you don't make fun of them, you don't beat them up, you don't annoy them, you help them. And if you do that, if you love your neighbor, you obey the commandments. Uh, you know, they want to take the commandments out of the courtrooms and all of that, which they've done. And, of course, our country is more chaotic today. And, uh, uh, but, of course, it's every family's Deuteronomy chapter 6 shows us that it's every, responsi- every family's responsibility to teach their children to not to steal, to obey the law, to live morally right. Do not take God's name in vain. Lincoln said, the hand that rocks the cradle rocks the nation. That is, corporately, uh, children need to be taught what Jesus said, that uh, we should love our neighbors and obey the law. Verse 11, Paul says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Well, he means get get active for Jesus. Uh, awake out of sleep. Be active. For now is our salvation nearer than what we believed. Hard to believe it, but you know, every, every day that passes, we're getting nearer to the coming of Christ. <coughs> Some generation is going to be alive when Jesus comes. And the big thing is Christ is coming again as he promised. As he promised. He keeps his promises. And it's, it's okay to discuss, but, you know, arguments, he's going to come before this, after this. You know, he's coming again is the big thing. And, of course, the unbelieving world doesn't believe that. The night is far spent, verse 12, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. In other words, let us live for God. And he's saying part of living for God is obeying the law. Verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Christians should be honest. And by the way, aren't I preaching to the choir? You've heard the expression preaching to the choir. We don't have a choir here. But preaching to the choir, the idea is uh, they're the the believers already already. And they're living right. And when you say don't steal, the choir is the very group. You don't have to say it. And I realize, I just think that everybody in America 
in light of rioting through this year, ought to be giving somehow here one message or not rioting. But I understand I'm preaching to the choir. The group in front of me is probably the least riotous group in America. So when I'm looking at you and saying, don't riot, I understand that you're not the people that are going to be out there breaking bottles, breaking windows, lighting fires, beating people up, stealing, burning automobiles. Not this group. Don't tell me if it was your youth. But, uh, no, I didn't know any better. No, I... As a kid, before I knew the Lord, I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything. But he says, let us walk honestly. And of course, that's part of our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. How he changed. As in the day, as in the day, uh, most robberies, not all, most robberies occur at night. Assaults occur at night because the, the robber doesn't want to be seen. So when he says walk in the day, you're not afraid to be seen because you're doing the right thing. So we're told to walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, not in rioting. Christians are told we're not to be part of riots. Now, we understand in the United States you can protest, you can hold up a sign and all. But when you start to burn cars or break windows or steal or vandalize... That's rioting. It's not so. You know, uh, you know how Henry VIII put stopped rioting in London. You know that story. Well, I'll tell you the 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 winning method of stopping riot. But I'm not advocating it for this country. But I'm just going to say, Henry VIII, who was, by the way, uh, he kept England in order, but personally, his personal life was. You know, he's the famous one with six wives. And there's the rhyme for the six wives. Uh, divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. That's the order of the six wives. And uh, he wasn't so good on that side. He, in fact, he was a wicked guy. But anyway, they had a riot in London. There's a riot in London by young people. They arrested 270. In the rioting, the, the London police ran out. And, and this is uh, when he, he's a contemporary of Luther. So we're talking about the 1500s. But they arrested uh, 270 young people for rioting in London, running through, breaking things, yelling, uh, destroying all night. Protesting some something, and uh, Henry uh, announced the next day they were all going to be hung the following Saturday. One week one week later, it happened a Saturday. We're going to hang all two seventy, and he says that'll show them people aren't going to riot. And they actually built simple gibbets or wooden things to hang them outside uh, the castle. They put it up, little platforms. And uh, they were going to hang them one after another in about six different gibbets. And uh, uh, it says the mothers were out there screaming. 
Please don't hang my son, he, whatever. By the way, when I was a young boy in uh, Philadelphia, we lived next to the railroad yards, the uh, police arrested Joey Bollinger. Uh, I don't know if I should say the incarnation of Satan. His mother came out to the police car and said, he's a good boy, please let him go, and they let him go. I think this was the worst boy in America. I could go on and talk. I never could walk past him without him yelling, dirty Jew, we don't like dirty Jews, and maybe running up, throwing something at me. But anyway, mother pleaded, they let him go. Okay. I, By the way, I've prayed for Joey's salvation. Nothing would please me more than to find he's saved. That's that's how we, we look at it. But anyway, Henry, they, the Saturday came that morning and uh, you had 270 mothers and aunts and grandmothers and fathers screaming. And uh, the, the kids were crying. They we're talking about kids that are 16, 17, 18, some 13. They're all going to be hung. Anyway, Henry announces that he's seen the tears of the mothers and he's going to pardon them all. No hanging. In fact, he announces that it was Cardinal Wolsey, who's the Prime Minister of London, of England. He says, Wolsey is the one who wanted them hanged. He never wanted them hanged. A, a bold-faced lie. Absolute, we know that is right. Uh, an absolute lie. Wolsey didn't have anything to do with it, but he blamed it on Wolsey. And everybody was kissing his feet, saying he was the most wonderful king there ever was, Henry the Merciful. And... Uh, he did say, though, they took all the names of the boys, and if these boys ever were caught rioting again, they would be hung instantly. So there was no rioting throughout his reign after that. Wonder why. Boy, but Henry actually did that as a device. That was his device to stop the rioting and to gain popularity, which worked, which worked. So, but Paul tells us better, chapter 13, not in rioting and in drunkenness and in chambering. Look at all these poor guys. They're carrying a gun. One, two in the morning at a bar. They get in an argument, shoot somebody, and spend the next 30, 40 years in jail. Ruin lives. Where's their mother saying, thou shalt not kill? Where's their mother saying, you don't have to go to a bar at one at night? Wrong crowd. Where's their mother? Uh, where's some of their father? Of course, that's part of the problem. Before the abortion, the immorality and the breakdown of the family. And uh, lives hurt and ruined. Not in chambering and in wantonness. Wantonness. That is sexual immorality, which is bringing on all these abortions and, and uh, children without fathers. and It's... it's uh, putting God's law aside and in strife and envying. So put all that away, but verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the desires thereof. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us live for Jesus. Let our young people live for Jesus and they have a happier life. Life in Christ is a happier life. Life in Christ is a productive life. Life in Christ is a hopeful life. 
It's an ordered life. It's a life that blesses others around you and that brings the witness of salvation to others. So what a wonderful letter. God's letter to us written through Paul. Paul is his handwriter and Paul has a writer too. And uh, this is God's will and God's will for America. And... uh, that we uh, live in light of uh, God's ordinance of government, and may it be. By the way, for those that uh, are able to attend the lunch, I hear there's a very lovely lunch today, and uh, the uh, the lesson today will be on First Corinthians, and uh, I will be shocked if at the end of it somebody comes up to me and says, I knew all that. It's possible, and more power to you. Sometimes we just need to hear something over and over. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. We're going to end at 145 sharp. Even if I'm in the middle of a sentence, we'll just end happily. We'll end on time. And let, let us, the football, can I say the football can wait? Or it can't wait, but we'll be there. So God bless you. It's wonderful to be with you. It's wonderful to be in Christ, our lovely Savior, who showed us the example of living for others. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thy sanctification on thy people. We pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for their salvation, that their sins might be forgiven that they might be clean and join the family of God and have eternal life beyond death and the hope to go with him when he comes. Heal the sick. Will thou be present in the lives of the lonely? Guide us when we need guidance. Protect us as we go. Bless thy people, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.